Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. What's poppin'? It's Priscilla. And it's Norma. And we are re-recording because of tech issues. Sorry about that, but this is the last episode of It's the Mystery for me. For 2021. Yeah. at it again with the back at it again but this time literally because we recorded this episode earlier this week it was a good episode too it was meaning good episode in the sense that we got it done one take you know one take one well we always do one take i know but it's just like i don't know it just really flowed it flowed Maybe because this was episode 26? Yes. Yeah, so it's just like it, we're, it flowed. we're it prepared, you we know, were, we're used to it. Yeah, it definitely flowed. I felt like there were a lot of points I probably missed during it as I was telling the story. Like, there was still a lot of question marks. So the tech issues kind of let me revise. But yeah, I mean, I got home and then my computer was like, the disc is full. And I realized that the majority of the episode wasn't picked up. So, I mean, this technically happened before. Yeah, didn't we have tech issues? Was it episode one? But it was episode one. It was a little different. Yeah, it's episode twenty six. It should have been different, but I don't know. <laughs> I've had my MacBook for years, and I refuse to change it. And yeah, that happened. But it's okay. Um, sorry, we had to push it till today, which is it's actually Friday, Norma. So you could tell people we're okay. recording yeah. on Fridays, Christmas Eve. I'm off of work. Norma's off of school. And this was the only time we had available because, like you guys know, I work full-time as a lawyer, and Norma is a full-time student, and she's still finishing up with finals. Right, Norma? Mm-hmm. I have two papers. So literally, today was the only time that I had free, and it happens to be a holiday. But it's okay. We are here. We doing this for y'all. We doing it for the culture. When is this being released? On this Tuesday? Is being, no, this is being released tonight. But thanks for being patient with us, you guys. Uh... I didn't feel like I should make y'all wait till Tuesday. On to podcast-related news. We will be skipping this Tuesday's episode, December 28th, and we'll be back with a brand new episode on January 4th, 2022. And during that episode, we'll announce the contest winner. Um, we will have more you know, contests like this in the future, so stay tuned. Spotify is allowing for people to rate podcasts, which is really, really... Ex- I'm so sorry. That? Norma! I am tired of your phone interrupting. <laughs> Let me put it on silent. So if you support the podcast, please support us by giving it five stars on Spotify. We're still waiting to hear if we will be selected for Podcast Row at CrimeCon, which is happening in April 2022 slash May 2022 in Las Vegas. We did enter to have a chance to, you know, be mm-hmm. there at Podcast Row. 
and we did that at the end of October. So if you guys are DMing them or leaving them comments or whatever, tweeting them, you know, it, it's one thing to note, like, our application's already there, right? So they have mm-hmm. it. We just want more attention brought to it. So definitely go ahead and show your support and drop them a comment or DM them or tweet them. And we appreciate y'all. A special shout out to one of our Instagram followers, Minyoon, wait, Minyoon Smoochie, Smoochie? Let me see. Yes. She just showed us a DM. She sent CrimeCon and I am totally butchering your Instagram name. Minyoon, Minyoon Smoochie. Well, shout out to her, you know what I'm saying? Thank you for supporting us. We appreciate you. When would we like find out about that? Well, they said that we should find out by the at least three months before the show, but the show's like in April, so I would like to know well before that, just in case. Like, I mean, I already booked the rooms. <laughs> I already booked the rooms. They were super cheap. Mm-hmm. Can you blame me? Now, let's turn to today's episode. Today's episode, it might feel a little bit different when you're hearing it because, like I said, we did previously record it, and it was somehow never recorded (laughs) thanks to my laptop and the disc being full so norma has heard the story however i did go back to the drawing board after the fact and i was able to add more information so there's things that you haven't heard me say norma okay so okay you know keep the questions coming i had good questions too y'all you did you did (laughs) i think it was the most talkative right ever was so i'm gonna try so make sure you know bring that energy again norma period Today's episode is a mysterious death case. The Wood County Sheriff's Department in Ohio are the ones that handled the case. And I think the FBI also participated um, in the investigation a bit. This case is actually considered closed by the Wood County Sheriff's Department. However, the victim's family has continuously asked authorities more specifically, the Department of Justice, if they can reopen the case because they feel that there is foul play involved. On today's episode, we are going to take you through the police's theory, and we're going to take you through the family's theory. And it will be up to you to decide what you believe happened. The sources for today's episode mainly comes from the Justice for Jalea Facebook page. Jalea is the name of the victim, Jalea Davis to be specific. Today's sources also comes from a Still a Mystery episode. Still a Mystery is a show on investigation discovery, and if you have Discovery Plus, I believe you can watch it on there as well. There are also some details that come from the Bread Lab Live interview. That happens on YouTube, and so we will link that YouTube link as well. But back to the Justice for Jalea page, her mom, Kim Davis, runs the page. And you might immediately be thinking that the page might be biased. And maybe you're not wrong entirely, right? But Kim has gotten the documents from Jalea's case from authorities. She submitted a Freedom of Information Act request, a.k.a. a FOIA request. And those are the documents that she is posting. And those documents are not being altered in any way 
Um, sometimes she might just draw arrows to certain things, but otherwise all of the information is information that was provided to her from authorities. Just a little bit on the Freedom of Information Act. According to the website FOIA.gov, the Freedom of Information Act has provided the public the right to request access to records from any federal agency. It is often described as a law that keeps citizens in the know about their government. That comes directly from the website. What you guys need to know is that the government does not have to automatically hand over do a document because you asked them to do it. There are nine exemptions, and you can read more about those exemptions on the government site. However, when I looked more in depth within the nine exemptions, I realized that really it's about 16 exemptions because exemption number seven has A through F categories. So it gets a little bit complicated. And that should tell you if there are that many exemptions, there are definitely ways for the government police officers and stuff to be like, you know what, it fits into exemption seven, category C, or mm -hmm. exemption nine, or exemption one. You know, there there are ways basically to circumvent having to give, having to give over any type of documents. As you know, you can find all of today's sources on our website. It's themysteryforme.com. This case has a ton of information, and for that reason, the episode will have to be split into two parts, with the second part coming out on Sunday the 26th. For this episode, we are headed back to November of 2011, to Marietta, Ohio specifically. Put your thinking caps on because you're going to need it. Without further ado, this is the Julia Rose Davis case. Before we start, I'm just going to give you a roadmap of what's going to happen today. This gives me like teacher vibes and teacher mode because I used to be a teacher before I became a lawyer slash podcaster slash content creator. But um, I just want to break it down so y'all know where I'm going with this. So first, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Julia. And then we're going to get into the timeline of the night before her death, which then leads into the night of her death. We'll then go into the theories surrounding her death. And we're going to focus on two. The first, that is the police theory, and the second, her family's theory. Within those theories, we'll go ahead and get into the evidence for both theories and like what supports each theory. And then we'll conclude with what is going on today with the case. So let's talk a little bit about Julia. Julia was born on November 2nd, 1991. She was described as being a shy kid. And her grandfather describes her as also being a sweetheart and saying that she didn't have any enemies at all. I feel like that's something grandparents say, though, right? Like, mm -hmm. you're just like the sweetest things. I, I mean, I don't think a lot of people have enemies. But, you know, sometimes there's people that are haters. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like looking at pictures of Jalea, seeing like just like her spirit in these pictures, like her vibe. I'm like, nah, she definitely had people who were jealous of her. Mm -hmm. She was a beautiful girl. Julia was best friends with her sister, Tavi, short for Taviana. They were about a year and a half apart. Julia spent her time working at a clothing store, and she was just trying to figure out next steps. Julia's mom had nothing but amazing things to say about her on the Still a Mystery show on ID Discovery. She just had compliments upon compliments. Anything and everything you would think a mom would say about her daughter if she was a doting mother. Um, her mom is just, you know, very 
active on Julia's case and has really made it her life's mission to ensure that her daughter gets justice. She just wants Mm -hmm. answers, answers to questions that I think are pretty straightforward. And so I'm wondering why she hasn't gotten these answers. But I digress for now. Julia was basically a regular 20-year-old, enjoying Mm -hmm. life, hanging out with friends, hanging out with her sister, like, you know, had this great relationship with her grandparents and her mom. So just like any other 20-year-old. Unfortunately, a night out with friends slash acquaintances would change everything for Julia and her family. We are now at the night before Julia's death. This was November 18th of 2011. Julia had left her house at around 5 or 6 p.m. according to the Still a Mystery TV show. She then goes to Kristen's house and she gets ready. After she went to Kristen's house, they then head over to Brian's house. Brian Sapp is a friend of Kristen's, but this was going to be the first night he ever met Julia. And who's Kristen? Kristen is her good friend. That's her good friend. Kristen, good good question, Norma, seriously, because I don't want to. This is why Norma's on the show. She needs to pull me back when I start, <laughs> you know, I start going, going, going. You got to pull me back and be like, hold the hell up. Connect the dots. This math ain't math. And so Kristen is a friend of Julia's. According to Julia's mom, Kim Davis, she has said that, you know, Kristen and Julia had known each other for a little bit, maybe a year or so, but they had only started hanging out about a month or two before this tragedy occurred mid-November 2011. So according to Kristen, when they are at Brian's house, Julia does something like 12 shots of vodka. Now, 12 shots of vodka, I don't drink. Is that a lot of alcohol, Norma, you drink? Mm -hmm. It sure is. It is. Mm -hmm. So Julia, I know, was around 115 to 120 pounds, but they didn't really say what her height was. I couldn't find that in certain documents, but maybe I wasn't looking hard enough. Um, I, I don't think, you know... It matters height wise, especially if we're talking about a girl. Yeah, so 115 and, um, to 120. I saw that on her Facebook post. If she's used to drinking, like, it, it really just depends, but 12 shots is a lot. It's a lot. Five shots is a lot. Okay. You know? So, someone who does 12 shots, you would consider them to be drunk? If they did yeah. 12 shots? Yeah. I can mean, they stand, though? Of course they're drunk, but can they stand? Hmm, let me go off my own experience. Um, I would say it doesn't hit you automatically. So I've been in a situation where I probably took maybe five to seven shots. Okay. And was drinking beer and wine. I shouldn't have been doing that. But I would say I was okay dancing completely fine for an hour. But, and then after that, but you weigh I browned out. You would weigh more than she did, right? Yeah, I'm sure I was like 150 around there at the time. Okay, and she's 115, 120. So it would have hit her heart. And by the way, when she gets to Brian's house for the pregame, her and Kristen, it's around 10 o'clock at night. So they are there for probably an hour and a half-ish to two hours. Oh, yeah. Then we're going somewhere else. She would have felt it for sure. So she would have felt it. Mm -hmm. But could she have walked? She probably could have walked. She's probably not going to have memory. Like, okay. her memory is going to be well, off. let's see. Let's I keep going and let's see if it kind of makes sense. Katie joins the party at some point. Katie is another one of Julia's 
friends, you know, it's like it's like kind of like a trio thing going. It's her, Katie, and Kristen. I wish I could give more details about Katie's friendship with Juliet, but what was interesting was that Katie's statement to the police, it wasn't like a transcript of the conversation. It was a written statement by Katie, and her statement literally just focused on the details of that night, and it didn't tell, like, you know, the relationship she had with Jalea beforehand, whereas in the other statements that were actually transcripts of conversations, they actually mm-hmm. go over that. Like, how did you meet Jalea? Like, how long have you known her for? That kind of thing. Okay. So basically, you so don't they have were that, like a little trio, but don't, we don't know like the, the type extent of, of the relationship. Right. We don't know how long she's known Katie, etc. But based on Katie's statement, Freddie Scott, who happens to be a guy at this party who's friends with Kristen... He goes and picks up Katie, and he brings Kristen and Jalea along with him. So they leave Brian's pregame, right? They go and get Katie. Katie's at another bar called Hardy's, and then they return to Brian's house. So this is where things get a little tricky. Kristen, in her statement, says that when they return, Jalea does another 16 shots. So that comes to about 28 shots. And I know you must be thinking, like, did you read it wrong? This you know, is after they went to the bar and came back? That's when they went and got Katie and came back to Brian's. Okay. So now let's say it's it's probably 1130 at this point. So they're back at Brian's house. And Kristen says, hey, you know what? Julia had about 16 shots at that point. Now the detective does try to clear it up and try to say like, okay, do you mean she had 28 shots in total that night before, you know, you know at Brian's house? Mm-hmm. She had this many shots. But she doesn't really like... The detective doesn't do a good job of clearing that up. So I'm really not even sure if she meant 16 in total or 12 in total or 28 in total. But basically they were saying that we can assume that Julia did at least 12 to 16 shots based off of what Kristen is saying. And my thing is, is everyone else drinking? How do you know specifically Mm. how many shots she's taking? 16 is a very specific number as opposed to saying like, oh, yeah, she took something like 10 shots or more than that. Right. I definitely had the same thinking as you. Like, how do you know? Did you sit there and count? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're so observant to that point. Like, if you're that observant, then like certain questions the detectives ask her, she says, like, she doesn't know, she doesn't remember, but you remember that she took 16 shots earlier in the night. But, for example, mm-hmm. she couldn't remember, like, the name of the street that they, like, turned on to go to McDonald's or, like, how they, you know, all, like, little details. Right. So I'm just like, huh. But you remember the 16 shots. It's like... That's interesting. Okay. All right. So eventually, they leave Brian's house. And by they, I mean Kristen, Julia, Katie, Freddie Scott, and there's another guy who has joined them named Jordan Campbell. At this point, they leave Jalea's car at Brian's house, or so they say. And they end up going to the bar, Nip and Q, at around 12-ish. And at that point in time, they're all there, they are dancing, and the police really focus on this part during their investigation. It comes up in pretty much everyone's statement, because the police wants to know what state was Jalea in at this point at 12, 1230? She's at this bar with you guys. What's happening? And did they maybe ask like the bar staff to see like, did they see anything? Right. I'm not really sure if they had any conversation with the bar staff. But what I do remember seeing is that the cops were too late when it came to reviewing the camera footage from the bar. 
Apparently the footage erases every 20 days. They showed up 30 days after the fact because they thought, oh, it was a 30 day rule and they totally missed their window of opportunity. That footage could have definitely That is just complete, you know, negligence. Right. You know. That should have been done ASAP. Yeah. And the owner of the bar, I believe it's his wife who's interviewed, she says, like, the cameras don't work so great, but there's definitely things that could have been seen. Like, there are other cameras on the premises that work well. And she definitely communicates it to them, and they totally drop the ball in that sense. So back to the party at hand. Different statements are given from her friends slash acquaintances. The majority of them say that she was drunk, that her feet were hurting her. She was wearing heels. She was, you know, wondering if she should take off her shoes or not. Um, But other people like Brian Sapp, who was there, says that he doesn't remember her being super intoxicated. Um, It wasn't anything that he thought was out of the ordinary. So there are these differing statements happening. Mm Mm-hmm. So, like, who's lying, you know? Like, who, ha- you know, and another thing is everyone's perception of things are very different. So she could have totally been fine, right? I don't drink personally, and I go to bars, and people might see me and think I'm drunk. But I'm sober. You know, what I'm, all mm-hmm. I'm saying is, like, perception is different. Mm-hmm. So we really don't know her state. We know when she gets the, when the autopsy is done, that her blood alcohol content level does come back above the legal limit, and we'll get there. But it's one thing for your blood alcohol content level to come back at a certain thing, and it's another thing for you to, like, you know, are you acting out at the bar? Are you, like, belligerent? Can Mm -hmm. you stand? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, people handle their alcohol differently. But there wasn't any type of, like, real, like, agreement on how she was acting. They end up leaving the bar at around 3 a.m. But like I said, it would have been great to have camera footage with a timestamp to really show, like, her family and detectives could say definitively she left the bar at this time. She got into this car. Was it her car? Was it Freddie's car? You know? Mm -hmm. But that didn't happen, like we know. So Freddie goes to his house, apparently with the girls, Kristen, Katie, Angelia, and they he essentially goes to his house so that he could let Jordan in, who's staying with him or lives with him. It's not clear, but he had to unlock the door for him. After he does that, he supposedly goes to Brian's house because that's where Jalea's car is. After this point, things get pretty fuzzy because it's around 3.20 something in the morning and the accounts start to differ drastically i was just trying to figure out the best way to say this part and basically this part is going to be a mixture of 911 calls and statements from toby who's julia's sister and a little bit of mixing in what julia's friends slash acquaintances said that night so they go to brian's house to drop off julia at her car apparently at that point in time Jalea and Kristen were arguing about house keys. And it seems to me that it was Jalea's keys that were missing. But in some statements, it seems like Kristen's keys were missing. I'm not sure, but keys were missing. They're arguing about house keys. Yeah, they're arguing about keys. Do they live together? No, but it seems like Jalea wants to go her own way, or Kristen wants to go her own way, and they can't find the keys that they need. Okay, okay. 
I'm inclined to think it was probably Jalea's keys because later on there's a whole thing about her keychain that comes up and it being missing and Kristen ends up having it. From the information I saw, there was just a lot of details that were changing, you know, and Mm -hmm. were a little bit inconsistent and I felt like that was one of them. They end up leaving Jalea at her car according to Freddie, Katie, and Kristen's statement. And they said that when they left her at the car at Brian's house, that she was coherent. She was totally fine. She was sitting there in her car and that she actually had already called her sister and she had been talking to her sister that evening about picking her up. So let's talk about those calls. At 3.28 a.m., Jalea makes a call to her sister, Tobby. And in that call, she tells Tobby to pick her up at a gas station. Jalea makes a second call to Tabi at around 3.33 in the morning. And in this call, she is, again, saying to Tabi to pick her up. Tabi's asking her what's wrong. She says to her, I'll explain when you get here. And she also hears Jalea kind of arguing and, like, calling Kristen names. She's saying she's a bad friend. And she's just telling Tabi, like, please pick me up. So this is 3.33 in the morning. That was the second that was the second call. And during that call, um, Tabby says in her statement to the police that Julia had told her that they were on the highway. They were on the interstate. And the whole reason for that call also was because Julia was switching the place where she wanted her sister to pick her up at. First it was a gas station, then it was like this other place, a rest stop. I don't know the difference between a gas station and a rest stop. I thought they were the same thing, but I guess a rest stop could have like food or just like, you know, the place mm-hmm. for trucks to park and that kind of thing. So Tavi says, like Jalea said at 3.33 a.m. that she was on the interstate slash highway. I should say that at 3.32, a McDonald's camera catches Freddie's car in the McDonald's drive-thru. They're getting food and they're actually there between from 3.28 to 3.32 in the morning. Freddie is visible on the camera, but you can't see who else is in the car. Like you can kind of make out maybe there is a girl in the front seat. There could be someone in the back seat. But it's just not known. So that call would have been at three. I'm sorry, that camera footage from McDonald's would have been around 328 to 332. Julia makes that call at 333 to her sister saying, you know, I'll explain when I get here. I'm on the interstate. Like, Kristen's a bitch. I can't do this. But they're not upset. They're not in the same car. So are they in the same car? I'm getting confused a little bit. I'm going to. Let's see. At first, I thought, like, are they in the same car? Maybe not. But then I read Kristen's statement. And in Kristen's statement to the police, she talks about what was happening to Jalea. And she says, I heard Jalea call her sister, Tobby. And she said to her sister, Tobby, I'll explain to you everything when I get here. Like, I'm just really upset. So she repeats Jalea's last words to Tobby from their call at 3.33 in the morning. How would Kristen know Jalea's last words if she wasn't with Jalea? Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So I'm like... Now I'm thinking, looking at this footage of the McDonald's camera, there were people on the Facebook group that said, hey, was daylight savings taken into account? Because, you know, some of these camera footages are, like, messed up. Um, And people are just asking these, you know, just questions. Like, is there any way the timestamp on the McDonald's camera could be wrong? And the McDonald's timestamp is correct. It really is 332 when they're seen pulling out of McDonald's. They get their food and they're pulling out. So... What's happening? Would Jalea have been in that car? Or is Jalea and Kristen in Jalea's car? And is Katie the one that's with Freddie in the Mm -hmm. drive-thru? 
Just something to think about. Let's go now to the 911 calls. There are three 911 calls, one placed at 341 in the morning, 348 in the morning, and then 352 in the morning. Ah, before I get there, let me just say there is a call supposedly placed by Julia to Tabby at 336 in the morning. However, her mom makes a Facebook post about this particular call and says that Julia made the call, but it didn't ring on Tabby's end. It's like, you know, when that Mm -hmm. happens where you don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, she must have hung up right before it could reach Tabby. So on her phone, it shows that she did call Tabby, but Tabby never got this call. So I just want to put that out there because I know y'all will start deep diving into this case. I know you guys are going to look at the Facebook group. I know you're going to watch the show still a mystery. You might be like, wait, they say a third call. But her mom has said that this call actually never ended up going through. All right. So let's go to the 911 calls. And this would have been, what, 333? Julia tried to call her sister again the third time at 336. So now five minutes have passed. And Norma, you're going to help me with this reading. So we're going to go ahead and read the first 911 call, which comes in at 341 in the morning on November 19th, 2011. And Norma, you're going to be the operator and I will be the person calling in. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. 911, what is your emergency? Yeah, I'm calling about a car that's broke down on 77 North. Okay. Where at on I-77? On the 181 or so, they mean the mile marker, by the way, guys. The lights are on. It's up against the guardrail. Something's going on there, but I couldn't see anybody. It's pretty cold out, so I don't know what's going on over there. Can you give me a vehicle description, like red car or a blue truck? Pardon me? Can you give a vehicle description, like a red car, blue truck? All I know, it's a car. He had his headlights on. Sorry, he had his lights on. He's right by the car. He's up against the guardrail. So there's something going on over there, but I couldn't see anybody standing around. So you know the car or the people I couldn't see, but the lights on in the car. So something's going on over there. Can I have your name? End of recording. So notice that like, first of all, my person, the person I was reading for, who I don't know if they ever identified because her mom did post about this on the Justice for Julia group on Facebook. And she says that even though it is noted somewhere in the cops notes that they did end up speaking to this person, eventually they don't, the family doesn't know a name of this person. They've never seen, you know, a copy of the statement or anything to follow up. But let's think about what this person says specifically when they said, all I know, it's a car. He had his headlights on. He's right by the car. He's up against the guardrail. So there's something going on over there. Why is he using the, why is he using he? That was the confusing part to me. Like, Mm -hmm. did he see somebody out there? Did he see someone who would go by the, right, the pronoun he, a male? Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then for him to end the call so abruptly, I don't know. It's just interesting. So that's at 3.41 a.m. This would have been just five minutes after Julia tried to call Tabby again, but the call didn't go through at 3.36. And it would have been, what, maybe eight minutes since she actually talked to Tabby on the phone at around 3.33 in the morning. I'm just going to give a trigger warning right now that the 911 calls that we're about to read have some pretty gruesome details. It's probably the most gruesome case we've done so far on the podcast and so if you are sensitive to this type of information and hearing it you probably want to you know skip ahead a few minutes so that you can avoid hearing about it so we're going to go ahead to the next 911 call 
That comes in at 3.48 a.m. on November 19th, 2011. I'm going to be the person calling in and Norman's going to be the operator again. Stay in the vehicle. I'm going to keep the doors locked. Just stay here. 911, what is your emergency? Sir, I'm at the 181.6 mile marker northbound on I-77. I cannot make a confirmation of this right now. I'm walking back. I think I just seen a human being lying dead on the highway, sir. Okay, and you walked away from your vehicle? I'm getting out of my vehicle and I'm walking back where I seen the person. And you think you're at 181? Yeah, 181 mile marker, sir. I haven't confirmed it yet. Okay, what's your name, sir? My name is, and then they black out his name. We drove by, and you know how it's dark, and you can't see, but I'm just about pretty sure it might have been a person. Gosh, I really don't want to walk back here. You know what I'm saying? I understand what you're saying. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, sir, you don't have to. Stay where you are. Uh, stay where you're, where you're at, and I'll have somebody come up there. I'm getting closer to it. I'm ho- Oh, that's oh. me. That's Oops. me. Sorry. They blocked out his... Maybe it was more of his name there. They blocked mm. it out. I'm getting closer to it. I'm hoping that it's a deer, sir. I really am, but I'm pretty sure I saw what I saw. Oh, man. In fact, here's some other people. I don't know if you're getting more phone calls. Two other guys just stopped down here at the bottom of the hill. Oh, man. Okay, sir. Do you know your cell... Do you know your cell number? I'm getting closer to it. Oh, man. I'm hoping it's a deer. I'm hoping I can't. I got my boy. In any way, one hit. Did you pull alongside the guardrail, sir? Yes, sir. I'm pulled alongside the guardrail. There is a chemical tanker truck that just pulled over. I'm getting closer to it. There's a semi semi tanker truck that's coming at me right now. No, stay over here, truck driver. Stay over here. Stay over here. Oh my gosh, I can't get over here in traffic. Yes, sir. Confirmation. Human body. Oh my gosh. Do you want to check to this? Do you want to check to... What? Yeah, that's what they say. Okay. Do you want to check to this if this person is still alive or breathing? Sir, there is parts of him. I can't. Oh my God. Oh my God. Sir, turn around and don't look at him. Okay? Turn around and don't look at him. Oh my God. Sir, sir, you need to hurry up and get people here, please. Okay, we got people on the way out to you, sir. Can I start stopping traffic? This might be a crime scene, right? Do you have a flashlight? I don't want you getting hit. Yes, I do. No, no, another person just about hit him. Oh my God. If you can get the county sheriff department here as soon as possible, sir. Sheriff department is on the way. So is a fire department and an ambulance. Okay, there's a tanker driver who just pulled in front of me. There is a vehicle. I can't. Can anybody turn their hazards lights on? Put as much light on that situation as you can, okay? Well, most of us are already past it, sir. I'm getting kind of like, sir, this is a crime scene. I'm just I'm just about positive. I see the this is a this is a crime scene, sir. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. This is on real. This is on real. This is on real. Sir, you said you you had your son with you? Yes, my son is with me. Kind of like a crime scene. He's not out there walking around with you. See his shirt. There's his head and skull right there. See it? Oh, oh, oh. Is the head not attached to the body? No, sir. Part of the head is right over here. I need you to get over to the right. Over to the right. Make sure that you tell him. The sheriff department is here. He's getting ready to block both lanes, sir. Okay, sir. You can go ahead and talk to the deputy. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. End of recording. And then here's the last call that comes in on November 19, 2011 at 3.52 a.m.
911, what's your emergency? Has anybody called in on a... It's in Wood County on the Interstate 182, right before 182. Looks like somebody busted a deer. They got a... I'm sorry, what? It's 182 northbound, Interstate 77. Looks like somebody hit a deer. There's a couple of trucks on the side keeping people away from the deer. There's a car by the guardrail. I don't know if anybody... Okay, it's around the 182? Yes, just right before the 182 northbound. Okay, we've got deputies on the scene out out there, sorry. Okay, I just want... I just went by and there wasn't anyone there, so I just thought I'd call. Okay, thank you. End of recording. Those three calls are very intense. So I know you might be wondering, like, what happened? Who's on the ground? I will say this. The second caller misgendered Julia. They believe she was a male, but she was a female. Unfortunately, Julia died as a result of her head hitting the guardrail post a few times. And just from like horrific injuries associated with a car accident. When they get to the scene, Jalia's body is found in a very gruesome manner. What did people see when they got to the scene? They saw a female who had been decapitated, whose leg was broken in half whose right breasts had been cut from her body and who was naked from the waist up. She also did not have any shoes on. Very, very gruesome scene. And if you do go on the Justice for Julia page, I'm just warning you that her mom does post pictures of Julia post-mortem after the accident. And just know that there weren't really any warnings like it might you might just be scrolling through looking for other stuff and it might just appear on your screen so just be warned of that i'm wondering at this point the 341 caller what were they seeing were they i feel like maybe they didn't see maybe they saw what was happening as it was happening because the 348 a.m caller is like distraught right they see what they think they hope it's not a human body but ends up being a human body but the 341 caller seems like there's no body on the ground yet right Mm -hmm. so maybe they're seeing the beginnings of what leads to her death possible argument maybe that's what Mm -hmm. they're seeing right Mm -hmm. so i would be interested to read their statement if one does exist about you know what exactly was it that they saw at that point in time You might be wondering, like, where's Tabi? Wasn't she on her way? She was on her way. And as she was on her way there, she comes across the scene. And she says on the Still a Mystery show that something in her just said it was her sister. And she was right. And can you imagine? You come across this gruesome scene and you have to see your sister like this. Mm -hmm. She was beyond distraught. And as she's walking to the scene... She apparently called Kristen because she's just like, hey, like, we're, you know, have you heard from Julia? I'm on my way to get her, that kind of thing. And then she freaks out on the phone when she realizes it's Julia and she hangs up on Kristen. And then Kristen in her statement says she tries to call Tabby back and that they talk, but it's always for like a few seconds because Tabby is very like upset, clearly and mm-hmm. like understandably. Tabby called her in the wee hours of the morning, hysterically crying. And that is how Julia's mom found out that Julia was involved in an accident that led to her death. An mm. accident, again, it's like, quote unquote, like I said, it's a mysterious death case. So 
you know, I'm trying to like use the right words, but if I use the wrong words, like just forgive me. So how does a night out with friends turn into such a horrific accident like that? Well, the police officers at the Wood County Sheriff's Department say that is the result of a drunk driving accident. Before I get into the theories of the case, let me just describe more so about the scene and what was, you know, where was her car and things like that. What kind of evidence was there at that point in time? So they found that Jalea's brain matter was found on some of the posts along the guardrail. So the post is basically the material that holds up the guardrail. It goes vertically. Mm -hmm. So they did find brain matter on there. They also found her clothing hanging up on the guardrail. And the order it was hanging up was pretty interesting. First her bra, then her shirt, then her jacket. In that exact order. They found her car about two-tenths of a mile to three-tenths of a mile away from her body. And they found her body in the passing lane of the highway. And the passing lane of the highway is considered the fast lane, the left lane. That's where they found her body. They also found that there were acceleration marks on the ground kind of leading towards the passing lane from the guardrails. They found that there was blood on the trunk of her car. And it was also later determined that there was blood on the front of the car and also under the car. Though I don't know if the blood on the front and under the car were tested. I know that the back of the car was tested. And even on the roof, there was apparently some blood and that was tested. So when her car comes to a rest, it's along the guardrail again. It essentially goes from being on the guardrail right side to the left side where her body's found to back to the right side. And it's found in drive with the doors locked. There is a crack on the windshield on the passenger side. The right side of her car is also really banged up. The window, the passenger front seat window is shattered. And the cops say that the car hit the guardrail going at 70 miles per hour. Her two front tires on the, not two front tires, but her passenger side tires, the front and the back are flat completely. So the the right side of the car definitely took the brunt of the accident. Mm Mm-hmm. But that was just some of the evidence that was found at the scene. And hopefully with that image in mind, the theories that I'm going to explain next will make more sense. And with that being said, let's talk about the theory that the police have, which is that this was a drunk driving accident. Not only do they say it's a drunk driving accident, but that Julia was by herself at the time of said accident. What evidence do they have to support this theory? I combed through a bunch of Facebook documents that her mom had posted, right? That she got from the FOIA request being approved. Just know this. There are hundreds of documents. There are things I could have overlooked. There could have been things I missed. I tried to pull the most important information from those documents to give you guys like a Cliff's Note version of the case. So as I go over these details and what I feel like supports each theory, just keep that in mind and know that there's probably even more information out there that I haven't tapped into. All that said, just know I did my homework. Okay, period. (laughs) Anyways, let's talk about evidence that might support this drunk driving accident theory. Her blood alcohol content level was determined to be 0.19 
the legal limit is 0.08, so it was double the legal limit and then some. The cops also said that there was a bunch of stuff on the passenger seat of her car. And that supports the theory that she was by herself in the car. They point to the fact that there was brain matter on the guardrail post, which means she was probably ejected from her car and hit the guardrail, leaving the brain matter on the guardrail. There were statements from friends slash associates of Julia that she was drunk. Those statements include Kristen's statement, Katie's statement, Freddie's statement, Nicole's statement. Nicole is a girl, I'm going to talk about her in a second, who comes up just because of something she decided to put on Facebook and tweet. And also according to Chris's statement. Chris is also someone I'm going to talk about. He's Katie's ex-boyfriend. What else supports this theory? The statements from friends slash acquaintances that say they dropped her off at Brian's house and they saw her in her car. What else supports this theory? The fact that the McDonald's footage is timestamped at 3.32 in the morning and Kristen and Katie are both saying they were in the car at that point in time. Now, I already discussed earlier how, you know, the fact that Kristen knew her last words to Toby and the call was at 3.33 kind of is inconsistent with this McDonald's video. But, you know, take it for what, you know, take it with a grain of salt and and try to figure that one out. There's also the fact that the car was in drive with the doors locked. So that also supports the theory that maybe she was ejected out of the car and that's why the car would be locked and the car wouldn't be in park. When they do a bunch of DNA analysis, they see that there are no prints on certain places of the car, no foreign prints as far as like on the steering wheel, on the console, things like that. Some prints that they retrieve are too low grade to be tested. They determined that her DNA does appear on things like the passenger window, for example. So those are the things that I feel like the police would say support their case. I do want to get into a little bit of um, statements made by other people in the case so that it makes more sense and and it gives a, a bigger picture to people. And I think one of the statements that are important is that of Chris Latimer. Chris is an ex-boyfriend of Katie. And he says such in his interview. At other places, in other places, you're going to read that he is Katie's current boyfriend, but he says, no, that he was her ex. Okay. So Chris says that during this outing to the nip and cue, okay, when they're all at the bar, he says that Kristen was upset with Jalea because Jalea was apparently kind of talking to Chris texting him, dancing with him and stuff like that. And Kristen thought, well, that's messed up because that's Katie's ex. So why would you do that to Katie? Mm. You know, that kind of thing. Chris says, by the way, he was not at Brian's house before the gathering. Like he was, he ended up at the bar and they just so happened to be there. But could this have been a point of contention where it led to a fight? Chris says that Katie's the one that mentions that, you know, what Chris that Kristen was upset that Jalea was talking to him type of thing and dancing with him. So could they have gotten into a fight and this have led to Jalea's death? Nicole's statement, I feel like is neither here nor there. Nicole kind of places herself in the midst of the investigation because she posts some sort of Facebook thing saying that like Jalea had left with somebody she didn't know. And then another one that said Jalea had left with Freddie and all these other people. And then she posted something about like, 
a party at a hotel that was by the rest stop and saying like, oh, something crazy is about to go down. So basically the cops were just like, okay, you're making it hot for yourself. Let's bring you in for questioning. And they actually questioned her twice. Once Mm -hmm. in December of 2011 and also a second time in May of 2012. What's interesting about Nicole is that she doesn't really know Jalea like that. Like she works with Tabby though at Victoria's Secret. But they also don't even interact. It's kind of like you just know people because of, like, you know, a connection. Like, you just happen to know them. Yeah. Nicole does mention that the weekend before this outing, or, like, two weekends before that, you know, it was Jalea's birthday on November 2nd. So they did go out. And she says that Jalea and Kristen got into a fight with other girls at a bar. And it was this whole thing. I don't see the cops trying to connect these other girls to it and their names are blocked out for the most part in a lot of the documents. So I'm going to think like that that theory isn't viable. And also no one could pinpoint if these so-called girls were at the bar this night. Mm -hmm. But you know what? We might know it if the cops had actually gone to the bar on time and gotten the footage. But again, more question Mm -hmm. marks. So I do feel like Nicole's involvement in all of this is kind of minimal. I just feel like she kind of just put herself in it. By just saying, like, well, this is what happened to, Jul- to Julia. And then when they had her in the room asking her, you know, so what happened? She was all of a sudden like, I don't, like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know so what happened. So does she do it for clout? I'm just a little. Right. It seems to me like it might have been for clout. Um, and she was tweeting these things after the fact? Yes. Okay. She said even though, yeah, they were, like, distant like, knew each other in the distance, like, they met a month before Jalea's death in person, but her connection to Jalea seemed to be because of um, Katie and because of Kristen. I should also mention that Nicole was also involved in this fight from the weekend before and talks about that she was knocked out with a bottle. She got knocked out. Someone hit her with a glass bottle over the head. But she also Mm -hmm. makes it a point to say that she doesn't drink anymore. She was actually in a really bad drunk driving accident and it totally just messed with her and she does not drink. She's sober. So, of course, they asked her, you know, what they thought, you know, was Julia drunk? Was Julia this or that? She just says, you know, that Julia was complaining a lot about her shoes, you know, and that she did seem like she was like a little drunk and stuff. I thought it was interesting that at some point in the conversation, the detective tries to force it feels to me like they're trying to force the idea of Jalea being drunk. Like they, it's almost like they're feeding people the, I don't know how to explain it. They're just like, she was plastered, wasn't she? She was this, wasn't she? You, so You wouldn't be able to ask those questions in, in court. Like, right. You know, no. It's I, like, it calls for speculation. It's almost like you're, you're giving them information that they should be able to answer for themselves. Right, right. So that was a little strange. Um, it didn't happen in Kristen's interview. I want to say it happened in, like, I think it might have been Brian's interview, or was it Brian's interview? Yeah, I think it was Brian's interview. She does note that Kristen was bickering with Julia um, about possibly having lost Julia's keys. So that's what also kind of makes me think it was Julia's keys they were arguing about because the keychain becomes like a big point of contention in all of this. So at this point, two people are saying that they believe Julia and Kristen were arguing on the night that Julia died, right? Chris has said this. He thinks that they were arguing about him and Katie and Julia dancing with him. 
And then Nicole is saying that she heard them arguing about Julia's keys going missing. Brian Sapp is interviewed. He's the one where they they went to his house to pregame and stuff like that. He says that he had no idea that Julia's car was outside of his house. He can't, there's no way of him being able to verify that. He didn't go home and see Julia outside. Like he never noticed it. So I thought that was interesting. But I guess now in 2021, we all got cameras. So it would be very easy for us to know like who's outside of our house and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. He said that he heard that she was pushed in front of a car and ran over by her own car as well. Pushed in front of a car and ran over by her own car. Right. And remember, Brian is also one of the only people that say that Julia didn't seem like she was drunk. She just seemed happy and chill. He's not the only one that heard that, though, because there's a statement by an anonymous person. I just know he's a male that went to school with Julia. And her mom talks about this male because she knows who he is, even though his name is blocked out from the actual documents. And he he speaks to the police right after the accident, probably within the first 24 hours, 48 hours. He's an acquaintance or knows Freddie Scott. And he mm-hmm. says that basically that Julia was fighting with Kristen on the interstate and that Kristen like beat her up and like banged her head against the guardrail post and stuff like that and then ran her over or someone in the car ran her over and then another car picked them up and that they had left the car and drive now I don't know how much of the story was out in newspapers at this point in time but he was very convincing apparently he was crying and stuff like that and he's just like, this is what I heard. Like, I heard it from someone who knows them and, and stuff like that. So where are we at this point in time? Because I mm-hmm. gave you guys a lot of information and I've gone through a few people's statement. At this point in time, we are at the police's theory. The police believe it was a solo drunk driving accident. There are statements from Julia's friends and acquaintances that say that she was drunk that night. Though Brian Sapp says that he didn't think she was drunk. Was it a drunk driving accident, a solo drunk driving accident? Or Or was was it it made to look that way? Or was it made to look that way? In part two, we're going to talk about what the police say exactly happened in regards to Julia and this drunk driving accident. How is it that there's blood on the back of her trunk, on the top of her car? There's her brain matters on the, the, the post and her passenger windows cracked. And how is all of this the case, right? They put it into something that I think is just truly unbelievable. You got to hear it to believe it. And I have the transcript and I'm reading it in part two for y'all. Once we go over that, I'm going to talk about her family's theory, which revolves around the fact that they believe there was foul play involved and that there is someone or people who are responsible for Julia's death who happened to be with her on the night of her death. But before we close out, I'll also talk about a psychic episode that um, another true crime podcast did where the psychic apparently connected with Julia. And I'll let you know what was said. All of that and more on part two of the mysterious death of Julia Davis case. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss that. You don't.